0: One of life's greatest questions is, what happens to us after we die? Is death the end or a new beginning? Welcome to the Roundtrip Death Podcast. In this show, we listen to first-hand accounts of people who have gone beyond the veil and return to talk about it. Morning. This morning, we have on the line with us June Ahern from beautiful Pacifica, California. Good morning, June. Good morning. How is it out there near the ocean?
1: Well, It's very fogged in and uh, not dripping fog, which we get a lot of, but it's very fogged in and gray. I don't mind. I like it.
0: The humidity from that is wonderful. Anyway, before we talk about your near death experience, would you just tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yes, well, let's see. To begin with, uh, I'm a curious person. I like to educate myself from different sources, but I like to take action and experience whenever I can for myself. So I would say, if you want to know about me, I'm a, I'm a curious person. I'm interested in people. I love animals. I've had animals, dogs, cats, fish, a horse. My life dream came true. Uh, she's passed on. I feel like I'm an ordinary person, and uh, you know, I'm a, a wife, a mother, a grandmother, a good friend, a sister, I have many sisters, I have a couple of brothers, I like people, and I like to know what are people thinking and what have they experienced, I think that that kind of sums me up, I'm creative, I draw, I write books, I write, I journal, I think that about sums
0: me up. That's awesome. So your experience happened way back in the 1970s. And back then, people didn't talk about this, because if you did, they thought you were crazy. So now that you've been able to open up about it, and I'm very happy for you about that. um, Tell us how it has changed your thought process on the whole thing.
1: I grew up in a religious household. So we had a tendency toward believing there's a life afterwards. But that image was more of if you were a good person, you got to have a good life. You know, if you weren't so good, you know, well, you had to go to purgatory for a while. <laughs> and if you were really bad, you went to hell. So uh, I had mixed feelings about what would happen after death. I mean, after all, if I wasn't good enough, I may never get to heaven. Then I had a near death. Accident, automobile accident. I went through the windshield and I came back in. And when I came back in, I brought the windshield back into my face. So most of my face was, the skin of my face was torn off. And I don't, I remember sitting talking to the police officer that came in the car. And I don't remember getting into the ambulance. One of the most profound parts of me while I was waiting in the car after the accident next to the person driving who was like making all kinds of noise and it was annoying the heck out of me. There was a woman that was standing outside the car and uh, she just kept looking in. I I always tear up when I say this because this is how deeply emotionally mostly uh, effect upon it it had upon me. And she, she was dressed all in white. She looked glorious and very comforting. And she said to me, It'll be okay. <laughs> you see how it still affects me. When the later I learned that there was a young couple that saw the accident. We ran into a um a utility pole. The car went right into it full force. I didn't know that my partner had nodded out, fallen asleep, passed out. And uh this is before seat belts, right? Nobody wore seat belts. What were those?
0: And no airbags.
1: Oh, No, no, you just drove by the grace of God, go you. And later I learned that there was no woman there. They said there was a couple, they called it in, but they had to go to a phone booth, so they weren't there. Now, who was this woman? I don't know. So that said, in the hospital, uh, during my opera, I had to have surgery immediately. And in between that, I saw myself in front of a a garden, very nice green, lush garden, and there was an ornate white fence in front of me, beautiful fence, only like about chest high, not real high. On the other side, there were all these wonderful people. It reminded me of Ricky Nelson's song, It's a Garden Party. People were having fun, they were talking quietly, they were laughing. And then I and these were some relatives that I only recognized from photographs because when we left, we emigrated from emigrated from Scotland to the United States. I was a girl. I was only six. And then my maternal grandparents came up to the fence, not very close. And I wanted to go in. I wanted to join the party. I was like, oh, boy, the beautiful bliss Uh, of all my years of meditating. I have never achieved that place of bliss. I've achieved serenity and peacefulness, but not that bliss. And everything was in a beautiful light. And they said, hello, June, not now, go back, bye. And they're waving at me and I'm so disappointed that I can't go into this beautiful garden party. And then I recall being in the hospital bed, shaking, and I could hear the nurses running around. You know, she's in shock. She's in shock, gets a little blanket. I, I didn't know how to tell anybody for years about this experience. I had no words. And, you know, as you said, if you said it, people would definitely label you as crazy. Like, oh, she knocked her head. She, felt, she lost some of her screws.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunately the case that we hear from people back then. Well, that was a lot. And you went through it kind of fast. Do you mind if we dig just a little bit deeper here? Was there a time where you felt like you left your body? You know, some people see a tunnel or a light, but go kind of from start to finish here. If there's more detail.
1: I did not. No, I did not experience leaving my body. I know I did die in the ambulance because they told me, you know, but I did not expect, uh, see a light at the end of the tunnel. I didn't, my life didn't flash in front of me. Um, no, I don't recall that, hoovering above and watching. Uh, I was just there. I was, I was in that moment and in that place. That's where I was.
0: Yeah, tell us more about the garden. Do you remember what it looked like?
1: Oh, the garden was beautiful. It was lush green, just that emerald green, I guess you would say. And there were picnic blankets spread around. People were laughing with each other and talking, and, and I don't recall exactly, but I have a thought that there were picnic things like beverages and such like that, that I can't really say if that was true or not. Um, I just know that it appeared to me to be like a picnic in a beautiful setting. I did not see flowers. I only saw the greenness the beautiful greenness, and, and the light that was around it, a beautiful, soft, glowing light, somewhat like the light I saw on around the woman that was standing outside of the car when I had the accident. That sort of uh, soft, brilliant white is what I would like to say.
0: Did you feel like the fence was to keep you on your side and not go in there?
1: I did not feel that at the time, I just felt like I arrived someplace that something was happening beyond my participation and that's why I wanted to go in, I wanted to participate with these happy people, I wanted to go cross over, I guess, now that you're asking me that, that was a very good question. Um, I felt like I could go through the fence. I felt like if I really wanted to, you know, I really wanted to go through the fence. Unfortunately, I was told, no, not now, not now. Like maybe you can come later, but you can't come now. And that's what they said. Oh, June, not now, not now, go back. So amazingly how my life began to change slowly. After that, I mean, there was a lot of healing that went on physically, emotionally for me from that accident. It took quite a few years. Um, Just the beautiful light, the sharpness of colors, the sharpness of sentiments, the emotional sense of, as I said, uh, the greatest sense of joy and peace to be there. it, it, It was not like... Oh, when you die, you either go to heaven, go to purgatory, or go to hell. You know, not that feeling of, ooh, which will it be? I actually went to a beautiful place. So hopefully that's what's waits for me after I leave this body. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope so, too. You know, some people tell me that they had an option, and they could make a choice of whether to come back or not. And some people like you were just told that you need to go back. What do you make of that? Have you thought about that? And why is that different for some people than others?
1: I have thought of that. And I have read so many different uh, people's uh, experiences Uh, and gone to talks and really listening with an open mind. Remember, I said, I'm a curious person. I want to find out and educate myself and hear what others have to say. I didn't feel I had a choice. I felt like I was being directed. Like, well, not now, in a soft way, not in a, oh, you can't come in here. It's not like St. Peter at the pearly gates looking down the book saying, oh no, oh no, not you. Uh, Cross it off. (laughs) Uh, I felt as though it was a a peaceful rejection, if you will. It was a loving rejection because my grandparents were so loving. They really were loving people. That's how I felt. I felt it wasn't done out of a rejection. It was done out of love. You know, not now. Go back. Uh, To find out that, yes, I had, it was an unhappy time in my life. Uh, I came from a rather abusive uh, childhood. Uh, I was not happy. Uh, There was a lot going on. And so I wonder if I was being told to go back because there was something better for me, which in time I came to learn that. It took a long time.
0: You mentioned that you saw relatives there. Did you recognize them? Were they people that you knew before they passed? Who? Give me a little more insight on that.
1: The only people I recognized were my maternal grandparents. I did not recognize anyone else. They were somewhat behind the gate there was a, you know, as a distance, like I was actually looking at people having a good time. They were not close to the fence. The only way I recognized that there were some of my relatives was through old photographs of my mother. So really everything was from my mother's side and there were other people, but more like you look at a crowd where you only recognize say a few, you say, oh, there's so-and-so, there's so-and-so. As I said, the only ones that I actually uh, connected with from knowing were my
0: grandparents. And did you know them before they passed on or just from photos?
1: Just from photos because they had either uh, passed on before I was born or they passed on after, but again, living in United States, we did. It's not like it's not like now. You didn't get on Zoom. You made these three-minute phone calls that cost you an arm and a leg. And so, all I ever knew were when they would send photographs of say, you know, as we said, oh, my child's getting married, or we have a new grandchild, like that. So I knew from my mother's album these people, her brothers, her in-laws, uh, her friends. And that, that's what I knew. And by the time this accident happened in the early 1970s, well, actually it was 1970, most of those had passed on, my mother's relatives, her brothers. She was the youngest of um, five brothers.
0: Now, you mentioned one feeling. I, I've been taking notes here. You, you mentioned, this is one of my favorite words, bliss. Tell me about that, and can you put any other adjectives to it to describe for people what that felt like
1: bliss is a utopia it's a for me it is a place or a level maybe it's a level of one's emotional mental physical spiritual being where all that really exists is already answered there's no sense of why or how or should i or could i uh, it is really in a place, uh, I, I said utopia, of great peace. Now, for those that do meditate, we understand that wonderful feeling of peace. If you meditate, like, say, you have a, a real practice and you're meditating, even a time in your life where you sat back, you know, maybe you, maybe it was a time you just sat back and you went, oh, isn't this great? Isn't this wonderful? Oh, look, all my family's getting along. <laughs> my little cats on my lap and you have this wonderful sense of serenity and peacefulness and joy where you actually are joyous and you feel that through your whole physical self. So it is not only a mentally emotional experience. It actually is in the body and your body feels so relaxed. See, I'm a swimmer and I think the closest I ever came to God of my God, of my heart, how I perceive that being or feeling of God was when I swam, I would swim laps, like I would try to get up to a mile of swimming laps or down in the ocean, going in the water and the waves. And that's the feeling of completeness. You are completely who you are in the moment of who you are. And there's no question that you have where you doubt anything. I hope that is a little bit of an explanation of bliss.
0: One more question now. You talked about this woman in white outside the car. You've had a long time to think about this. Who do you think she was?
1: We will refer her to an angel, you know, a messenger. She was not anyone that I would physically say I knew that person. Oh, that reminded me of so-and-so. It was uh, a woman that appeared to be in her, well, when I was 19, so she was like old, right? She was probably in her 40s to me. Um, she was a mature woman, but not an elderly woman, not a crone or, or a senior. Uh, and she just felt very calm. And I, and I believe that that was the greatest feeling that I got from her. She was calm. It calmed me down having her stand there instead of being in a place of panic. You know, you have to understand, I was bleeding profusely from my head, my head and my face. Just there was blood all over my coat. As a matter of fact, um, I said to the officer, and I remember this, and he brought it up when he called me later. He said, that was so funny that you kept saying, oh my God, I'm ruining my coat. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my God, this is a new coat. There's blood everywhere as she, the woman gave me the feeling of calmness uh, when she said it's okay you'll be okay that's what i felt from her you're calm it's okay
0: so who was the first person that you told about this and how did it go
1: wow the first person it had to, yeah um i didn't really talk about it in depth like we are. I just said at one time I did not have a good relationship with my father. Uh, really, nobody had a very good relationship in the family with my father. And there came a time where he had quadruple uh, heart surgery. I mean, he was really sick, and I was the only one in the family that went up to see him in the hospital. And we started talking, and I told him that in a very short way, you know, Daddy. I think that I might have died, and I I think I might have went to the other side or someplace. I said heaven, because we didn't call it the other side then. I said I might have went to, to heaven. I didn't go into detail, but he became interested. When he came out of the hospital, he... Uh, it was later in 1970s and about 1978, 1979, Dr. Uh, Moody came out with a book, Life After Life. This is the first coming out book. And, you know, and he was a well-respected you know, doctor as such. And this book really put him out in not a great light within his profession. But my father gave me that book. Now, remember, I'm not close to this man. I'm afraid of him, actually. Uh, but I revealed something to him and he supported it supported it this way by giving me this book to read. Then I did not speak about it to really anybody until the, the early 1980s when I began to share uh, some of my knowledge and what had been produced by this near-death experience. I had a particularly unexpected career and I began to share that in classes that I was giving. Again, I never went into to, to detail. Uh, I, w- I skirted around it. Remember, I still didn't want to be seen like a nut, right? <laughs> and so that's how I talked about it. Rather than personal relationships, other than my father, I began to talk about it uh, more to students, my students that were there, and then to friends. I, I didn't share it with the family very easy at all.
0: Okay. So how has your life changed since all this? I mean, well, it's been 50 plus years now. And I don't know, maybe how do you think your life would have been different without it versus what it's been like since?
1: You have to remember, I was a product of the 1960s. <laughs> you know, wild, into everything, uh, curious about uh, what what I could achieve through ultra state of consciousness. Growing up in San Francisco, I was on a wild, wild track, and uh, pretty crazy. And that went on for even after my my near death experience. That went on for quite a while. Uh, I believe I've been told people have said that I'm pretty bold, and I speak out. I speak my mind. And I've learned not to speak it so much anymore in my old age. And I, I did not want to go downtown when we got out of high school. My father has said. The women don't go to college, just get a job till you get a husband. You know, you were going to get married, have kids. So at 18, I went downtown to work in a a bank. And I knew from day one, when I got on that bus day one to go to this new job, I said, I'm not going to do this. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to do this. Everybody followed asleep, looking miserable. So I signed up for truck driving, logged us in truck driving, uh, a course, so just before this accident, I wanted to be a truck driver and get away and get on the road. Um, and then after my accident in healing, as I said, physically, emotionally having to heal, I had to stay home. Uh, it was uh, very devastating to for a young 19, 20 year old woman to wake up and have really noticeable scars all over her face. And the reaction from people. So I would say that I began to more or less hide out. And in that hiding out, I became curious because before the accident, I had gone with a group of girlfriends for a card reading. You know, just a playing card, fortune telling. And the woman had predicted this. And she predicted it rather uh, with a good description. There'll be two men, it'll be a difficult time, they'll have an accident. And this is say about less than six months before the accident, about six months maybe. And so I bought a book and I became curious. So I'm not my, my personality is I am an extrovert. I, I, I enjoy being around most people, not big crowds, but people. And as I withdrew, I began to educate myself to out of my curiosity to study how could this woman have done that and known that? How it changed my life? Uh, it opened a door where I became became curious in the metaphysics and the occult. I wanted to know more about paranormal. I wanted to know why would I see people that are already dead? Um, so that was where my my Curiosity led led me to study through classes, through going to things like the Unity Church, where they would have uh, unusual people talking about unusual things. That's how my life began to to change, in a slow, like, hidden way. Uh, If you remember, I said I was brought up rather religious. We did not talk about this kind of information, though my mother used to read tea leaves for us. But we were told not to talk to uh, the nuns at school about it. We weren't supposed to talk about it outside the family. She said she only did it for fun.
0: (laughs) So you just mentioned that you see uh, dead people. Let's go down that road. Tell us about that. And did this only start after the NDE?
1: Yes, it only started after the NDE. And It happened, let me see, how old was I? 73? You know, you have to go back in history and figure ages out. Probably around 1973, 74. I left a really bad relationship, and I was living with a sister. I had met a young man uh, during one of my, I got on the train one day, and I decided that I would run away from home about 74. And I went up to Oregon, I met a young man. And uh, really liked him and his family, he took me home, introduced me to his family. I got a phone call uh, that he had passed on. He had committed suicide is what he did. And I saw, he came to me. Now I'm not gonna say that this was pleasant. It was not a pleasant experience at all. It scared the bejeevas out of me. And he showed up to talk to me during that time my grandparents on the other side also came to me one day when I was cleaning out the bathtub (laughs) you know it's almost like you take your mind off of something and then something occurs and both experiences were uh unanswered unquestioned I didn't know what was going on Uh, I called my mother and I said to her granny and granda came to me they were holding hands I didn't want to tell her i saw them before uh, after all remember i'm keeping this quiet and she said thank you very much she was very close to her parents i mean just the adored child the youngest the only girl and she said thank you because i was so worried that they weren't together so i answered that you know that she did not mock me or doubt me she actually uh, accepted what i had to say uh, after that i was in denial Of being in touch with those that have passed on. I didn't want any part of it. It wasn't like I went, hallelujah, I see dead people. I'm like, stay away from me. I'm not interested. Um, and I began to know things about people. And so I followed more of a a different path than saying being a medium. In the 1980s, there was and by then I was still able to see spirits around people, but I never brought it up. I didn't tell anybody this. And In the 1980s, I read for a woman and she said, oh, I referred people to you. I told them that you're a wonderful medium because I had given her some information. I actually got angry at her because I did not want people to know that this is something I could do. Why is that? That's really weird. (laughs) In my mind at that time, that's really weird. Uh, So I began again to educate myself. Uh by that time in the Bay Area, there was a psychic and an author named Betty Berthard. And she wrote dream books and she wrote other books on metaphysical, uh, parapsychology, paranormal uh, information. She was very well respected, very well known in the Bay Area. I went to some of her lectures. Uh, I shared with her that. And she said, you know, you, you afterwards you got, had an opportunity to meet her while you bought the book. And I said, I don't know what to do with this. And she said, you know, this is a gift that you will want to share with others um, and do it as you feel comfortable doing it. And so I kind of came out of the closet a little more, very carefully, step by step, (laughs) you know, Um, I guess it was an ego thing, right? You, as uh, my other part of an unexpected career was to, I became what is known as a psychic reader. And I wanted people to respect it because I was being told by even family, some family members, not so much my sisters, the males, uh, that I was working for God, for the devil. And I was a phone, people were calling me phony and a charlatan and a con and and uh, i wanted respect so i didn't want people to think that i was talking to dead people on top of having insights into people
0: yeah it's kind of a lot i guess so what sort of advice do you have for people who don't know if they believe in an afterlife or not most people i think it's a normal human thing to be afraid of death what do you have to say to them
1: well I'm very respectful of other people's thoughts. I don't try to convince people to anything. It is something that you either just know, you know, you just know it for some reason. You just believe in it. Maybe you learned it as a child in religion and you decided, oh, yeah, I'm going to go down that path. Um, Or if you're not in a religion and you're out in nature, you understand that nothing really comes to an end. No sooner have the leaves dropped. You give it a few months, and the and the you know the blossoms begin again. That life is a cycle. It's a, maybe you're philosophical and you understand that. And if you do not believe in it, um, too bad. <laughs> you, you'll find out one way <laughs> or another. <laughs> I always say, boy, I'm going to be really pissed if I died. I'm, and I'm all burned into ashes, and I'm like, okay, where's heaven? <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, but
0: for the most part do anything do people have anything to fear in the afterlife
1: well i have uh read and a very few people have said to me well i went to the other side and it was really black and it was terrible and i was afraid and um uh, i think that there are uh can be people that experience that for various reasons it can be you know when i was going to school we learned that the soul resided in the heart and if you did Uh, you know, whatever particular sin, venial or mortal sin, that the the heart, the soul blackened. So perhaps you lived a life where your soul blackened and there was only darkness in you, that you were not a person that cared of other people or you did injuries to others, you know, uh, you were against society and did uh, not, for humanity, uh, good purposes. They perhaps will experience the darkness on the other side, you know I can't speak for all people, and I have never said I can't. I think that there are people who, from what I've read and a few that I've spoke with, they did not have good experiences on the other side. Um, maybe they could start to live a cleaner life.
0: There are a few things that I'm finding in common in doing these interviews with people that have had ndes. One is that every experience is different in some way. Um, There are a lot of commonalities too. And one of them seems to be, hey, I'm not afraid of death anymore. Are you saying that people that are not living a good life that are uh, uh, going against all, uh, all the norms of society, all the moralities of people, they should be afraid of it?
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't think that they even uh, probably care. You know, you you see later in life some people that have abused humanity for their own gain. If they get a chance to live to their older, they have a chance to give some of their money to charity or say, well, okay, now I see I did this. Maybe I can make some amends like, oh, oh, I better I better hedge my bets here (laughs) just in case there is another life. You know, and there's some that just don't care. You know, so I don't think they should be afraid. I think that that at some point, perhaps they could be more aware and conscious that to give another person an opportunity to share what we have in a positive way. And that doesn't have to be a material thing, by the way. That could be something to where you see a person down on their luck and you say good morning to them. You say hello. You know, those are those are are good values to have in life that you actually care about people. Those that live in a life where they are very into their self. Nowadays, we hear all the word narcissistic people. You know, it's a new thing everybody's learning. Uh, And if you think you are that way, will you ever really be aware that if there is an afterlife, what will it be like for you?
0: I guess if you're narcissistic, it'll revolve around you and be whatever you want it to be.
1: Exactly. (laughs) I hope
0: that doesn't sound too terribly rude. Tell me about your books.
1: Okay. Uh, I have two novels and 2 nonfiction's. My first book was written because I was asked, actually, I was asked to write all of them. My first one was How to Go and Find a Reasonable uh, Psychic Reader and Medium. And how could you use a psychic reading really to evolve somewhat with an NDE does. It gives you an opportunity to evolve to a greater sense of who am I and why am I here? What is my purpose? Uh, That's what majority of people that uh, I have experienced either through lectures or reading have a greater purpose in their life once they return to planet earth. So the book does go into how do you ask questions to get the most out of a reading and like that. And it was just put together in my garage, you know, with friends helping me. It was just a nice little book, uh, but it set me on a course. The next two books were novels. I thoroughly enjoyed writing. And then my last book uh, is, is based upon my experience as a, as a medium and working with the police on uh, murder cases. I answer a lot of questions. My first chapter is actually questions from the curious living. A reviewer of my book said, I don't know what I'm doing because you never put questions at the beginning of the book. You put them at the end. And I thought, well, I want to answer people's questions. I don't want to make it all about me. What do you want? You know, are you as curious as I am? Uh, And then I tell him, I let people know how to experience communication with spirits uh, either through a medium through a seance through a group like you know uh, some psychics that do groups uh, I think it's called gallery reading or solo which I really encourage and promote the most you can do it yourself you you really can and here's ways you can do it the thing that happens here if I may Go on a little bit. The thing that happens here is that we are so engulfed with grief. It is very difficult to either believe we are in communication for our loved one that passed on or to hear the message of our loved one that passed on. These are two things to really hear it. Um, For instance. I don't have much patience. I know. I'm learning, I'm old now, I'm starting to learn. I got grandkids, that be patient. So I was not patient so much with my mother and I call it the long goodbye. She was, that took a time to die. I would get impatient with her. And so I was in, just wrecked with guilt when she passed. Like, oh my God, you know, what a horrible daughter I was to her. Cause I was kind of her um, primary care in the way I was legally her primary care. And she would come to me and she'd say, June, thank you so much for everything you did. I could not believe it. I was like, oh, no, I, I'm a terrible daughter. I, I, you know, I was impatient. I'd say, come on, mom, stop that. Take your medicine, things like that. So I went for a uh, medium reading to someone that I respect. And the first thing she says is, your mother wants to tell you to stop telling her that you're terrible when she's trying to tell you, thank you for all you did for me. So even me, a medium who's in this, needed to go to somebody else because my emotional state did not allow me the freedom to really live in, to really hear it in an objective way. Does that make sense to you?
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. I'm curious, and and but before we end here, maybe just one last thing. Uh, if you could tell us one of the interesting experiences that you had as being a medium in criminal cases.
1: Whoa, I'm going to tell you right now, as much as people are interested in it, it is not a nice experience. You are actually speaking to somebody who violently died, were terribly afraid, um, murdered. And I worked with a, 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 the woman that was murdered. Eventually, we found out was a longtime client. No, excuse me. She had only come to me a few times for readings. It was her. um uh, sister-in-law that was a long-time client well the woman didn't come home from work and she had two young children uh, she worked at a hospital she always came home and I answered my phone I don't know why you know in those days you didn't much answer your phone after nine o'clock you know and I answered it. yeah
0: that was late
1: yeah yeah don't call anybody after nine o'clock certainly not 10 o'clock and it was after nine o'clock and I picked up the phone. It was my uh, client. She said, I, I really, I need to talk to you, blah, blah, blah. So I said, well, come over to the house. And I had a young son. It was late. It was after 10. And I gave her, I actually drew a picture. Because remember, I told you, I, I draw, I'm a, a fun artist. I draw for myself. I drew a picture of the man that she was with. Well, it turns out that was the, it, it, eventually I worked with the DA, And I worked with the homicide detective later. That's really not pleasant either. The DA was fine. The homicide detective was hard. And um, it turned out that the picture I drew actually was totally a picture of the murderer. Even I thought that was pretty good. I was like, oh, wow. Uh, and I went through the whole process. When the detective came to get me, I named the name of a street in a, in a small town down the coast. Talk about Happen Bay. This was a town in between down the coast. And I actually gave the name of the street and directed. The DA the D and the detective came and picked me up. One of my oldest, my eldest sister came with me because I was really rattled. I sat in the back the car and I pointed to where we were going and where this murderer had taken this woman and there was proof of this it came out later there was a lot of proof that everywhere we went and what I said was absolutely right on and that's because the woman that was murdered was showing up and telling me this and it, it was uncomfortable I mean couldn't she come in the daytime oh no she had to come when I fell asleep and wake me up so I was getting like, please, would you stop waking me up? I got to get up in the morning. I got a kid here. Uh, even my son, who was only like three and a half, four, he got information. And he, I actually recorded him. And I didn't keep the tape. We had tapes in those days. Remember cassette tapes? Uh, and he gave me information. I have to tell you something. I know your audience will probably think I'm terrible. I took credit for so many information because I didn't want them talking to my little son. And it turns out that it was actually really good proof. They actually got witnesses from what my son told me. And it was very sad. Eventually, he went to trial. Uh, They did put him away. In the last few years, he did get out. Um, He finally was paroled. And uh, it was a terrible death for her. She was beaten to death and kicked. It was a terrible death. And I actually, when we went to the one spot where I knew he took her, and nobody was around. It was by the ocean, by the way. And um I got out of the car and I fell to my knees. Now, this is the time I had a skirt on and nylons. I remember women's store wear nylons. I don't know if they do anymore. And I fell down on the ground, on the gravel, and was crawling away. I became her. And he was kicking her in her butt and her butt kicking her along. Oh, it was just terrible. I did not know because they didn't tell everybody anything. You know, the police have to keep stuff. She had bruises of a boot, a, a, a boot, bruises all over her butt and her back. Big size bruises. I didn't know that. Nobody knew it. They kept that to themselves.
0: Yeah, that'd be so difficult to do that kind of work.
1: Oh, I was hysterical. My sister had to help me out. The, 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 the uh, detective and the DA, she said, were standing there with their mouth open. They were just like, And she helped me up. And then on the way back, I was living in San Francisco. You know, that's where I grew up. And I was living in San Francisco. And I gave them another uh, piece of information that they never, never gave out. The detective was so stunned, he had to pull off the road and park the car. And he said, how do you know that? I said, well, why are you here? (laughs) Why are you asking me? Because remember, he's a detective. He's like, can I really believe this nut? And um, the DA uh, was really happy because it helped build his case.
0: Well, I assume that the detective and the DA also they're thinking, okay, I can't use this in court, but if it leads me to something quote tangible that I can use in court, then then that's okay.
1: Exactly, that's exactly it. That you have to be reasonable and logical, and I believe as a medium. Or, a, or my, well, i retired now, but also as a psychic reader, I said to people, we have to be reasonable and logical with information in order that you can use it to better yourself in your life. I did not like the woo, 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 you know, you're something, you know, I wanted, how, how can you use this information to bring peace to yourself, peace to others, or even better your life by the actions you take? that's that was really what i valued and that's what i did
0: okay june thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure thank you if you have had a round trip death experience we would love to hear about it send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com and lastly if you have found this program uplifting If it's given you just a little more hope in the future, share it with a friend, hit that follow button, and take a few seconds to write us a review. Until next time, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next.